Hello world! It's good to be back. You did a great job, Mitya. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. Oh, so awesome with April, but we missed you, Frank. It's so nice to have you back. <laughs> Too nice. <laughs> so we've already got a packed show I see today. What do you want to start with? I heard you had some interesting news. Yeah, I saw that this morning and I want to bring that because I really like API management and they release a project called, and I have some, some yeah, so, so they release a GitHub project. So it's completely free. It's open source in GitHub and it's called the API portal. So it's a easy way to build an API for your clients to see your API. And it's like using the same bulletproof code to generate everything just like API management. So really, really interesting. Uh, have a look. It's fresh from the press. <laughs> but Ooh, I, I heard that uh, you are also a busy Benizia. You're working on a new project. You want to share oh, it? Yeah. So let me see if I can share my screen while I talk about it. This is my pet project. And I'm so, I'm so close. So this is still a work in progress. But you know I do ABC and I love this, right? I've just set up a website. And you can see all that information in the show notes. So if you've been a fan of ABC, but you've missed a clue or want to know what happens behind the scenes, check it out. You can go into the Hello World page, find every single show that we've had this in. You can go into the puzzle section and see all the puzzles. Do you know we've had 30 of them so far? And I know. And the only last thing I'll tell you is if you go check a specific puzzle, you'll get to see where it was played. You'll get to actually know how the puzzle was created and get resources where you can find out more about the solution technology we're talking about. So check it out, give me feedback. It's still a work in progress. Yeah, wonderful. And it's only the past episode. So like, this is not why Isaac is so great. He's just genius. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Isaac is just pure, pure genius. Exactly. You mentioned we have a big show. You wanna list everything we have today? Yeah, and I know we have very little time, so I'm going to just basically give the big picture. I think we've got two of our regular segments. ABC, of course, my favorite, and our favorite person, Isaac, from on Azure Tips and Tricks. But we've got two new segments as well, one in Ability and one that's related to July, and I can't wait to see that. Oh, awesome. So you know what? Let's roll it right away and join Isaac from Azure HQ. Hello, my friend. Long time no see, how are you? Hey Frank, good to have you back. That's right, Isaac Levin here, another edition of Azure Tips and Tricks. I'm super excited to talk about uh, migrating a MySQL database to Azure MySQL today. Ah, uh, MySQL, go, I'm all, all ears. Well, I'm ready to show you, so let's go ahead and roll the video. So I'm going to migrate my existing MySQL database to an Azure database for MySQL. So there's some ways to do that. You need MySQL Workbench as well as an existing MySQL database. So one of the things that I really, really want to stress is that you can take advantage of all different kinds of data sources in Azure, MySQL being a great example here. So the first thing you're going to want to do is you want to install a MySQL Workbench and then you want to create a MySQL database in Azure. So I'm going through that right now. Click Create. I'm going to select a single server. And then I'm going to select a resource group, fill in the server name, and then here, scroll down a little bit, I'm going to put in my username as well as my password that I want for my um, administrator account for MySQL database. <clears throat> so finally, I'm going to confirm the password, and then I'm going to click review and create down here, and this takes a little bit of time, so I'm going to skip ahead. So now we have an Azure database for MySQL. So before I can migrate data to it, I need to make sure that I can access it. So I don't need 
I don't want to deny public network access, but I can also allow Azure services to have access to it as well. So, and there might be some additional steps you need to do, like maybe open up a, a firewall port or something like that um, before it works. So, uh, one of the things that I want to showcase too is, so here I am in MySQL Workbench. So this is running locally on my machine and it's connected to my Azure subscription with an Azure Express Route connection. So whenever your MySQL database is located, you need to make sure that it can connect to Azure. And let's, so first thing let's do is let's connect uh, to my MySQL database that I have locally. So this is the schema for the database. Let's take a look at one of the tables, like this one here. And then there are some rows in those tables, right? We'll showcase that right there. So, you know, the first, the next thing that you want to do is you want to go to the database and migration wizard from the MySQL workbench. So I can use this wizard to migrate my data at, from local to Azure. So the first thing I do is I specify my data source. So my existing MySQL, I click next. Now let's add Azure MySQL as the new connection that I want to send it to. And you can get this information from the uh, connection string blade of the Azure portal. So as you can see here, I specify that. I specify the username as well as the password, storing that into the vault. And then the next thing that I'm gonna do after I've successfully made a connection to MySQL, so I wanna specify the schema that I want to migrate. So that I do that here, I click next. So specify the schemas to list, it reads them in here. I'm gonna click next a few times after I select the different schemas that I wanna do. So there's a lot of hopping around, looking at next and next and next and next. Um, then I'm going to want to reverse engineer and actually create the scripts that I want to actually run on uh, my Azure SQL, or not, sorry, not Azure SQL, MySQL and Azure. So after I create the schema on the target, uh, and then I go ahead and I click this button next right here. This is basically just another step that I'm going through that migration process of specifying the target creation options. So I can actually have this in a script or I can actually run it just directly. So one thing here is I create these target results here. And then finally, the next thing that I'm gonna do is actually just make an online copy of this table, right? So I do that here. I can also create a batch file or a shell script or something like that if I want to. So the next thing that I'm gonna do is I'm actually going to do the transfer. So, and as you can see, the results have been run and there you have it. So I, I connected to uh, you know, Azure SQL database. I was able to move that over. I could actually then go back into MySQL Workbench and actually query that to make sure that all works. But you know, I think one of the great things that you can showcase here is that you can easily move your data from on-prem or from somewhere else to uh, different Azure storage or Azure uh, database options. And this is only being MySQL. So this tip, as well as all of our other tips that we've done are available in the show notes, aka.ms slash hello world. What do you think, Frank? How was that? I'm impressed. You know what? MySQL is an old friend of mine and I think I have some database to migrate. <laughs> really helpful. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure as always. See you soon, my friend. Nitya, what do you think about that? Hey. If you're going to talk data, this is like such a perfect segue. That's what I was thinking, because if you're going to talk about data, you got to talk about all the devices that can generate it. And you know what systems will do that for you. That's right. It's time for a little bit of IoT. And we have a special guest today. Uh, let's say hello to Paul. And I think hello. today we're going to talk a little bit about July OT. Is that right, Paul? Yes, Nitya. This is such a cool thing, because not only is it something that lasts for a whole 31 days? It's got a really punny name. And I love that we got to work on the logo 
together. This is actually your handiwork right here. Oh my God, it was, thank you so much. I have such a great time working with your team. And I must say, there are so many, someday I'll write a whole thing on like the variations of this, but this is such an amazing initiative. Tell us more, what is July OT? Let's look at it. So July OT is going to be a 31 day celebration of IOT content for really everybody. And I think the best way to explain this is to sort of show how we did this last year. So July OT began in the year 2020 with a post on our IoT tech community. Now, this isn't a normal post because what happens is every week during the month of July, it actually grows and grows with new content. So you can sort of see as I scroll through from last year, starting at the end, we ended with online certification and learning. We also had some content on microcontrollers and embedded. Now, this should give you an idea on what you will expect this year for July OT 2021. So number one, to get here, you would head to aka.ms slash julyot, and that will actually bring you to the current landing page for the content repo that will make up this year's July OT. And what we're looking at focusing on this year is a number of different content themes. So during each week, in fact, on every Thursday, we're going to update with a whole week's worth of content that we've sort of created either from partners, community members, other internal Microsoft employees, members of the IoT advocacy team that align to these specific themes. And those include things like artificial intelligence at the edge, so you'll get to learn things like computer vision, how to make sense out of audio noises using tiny ML, things like that. We've also got beginner, student, teacher, and maker week, which will focus on content for anybody who has any interest in IoT, wanting to get started, wanting to sort of adopt classroom materials into their course. We'll have all sorts of things that we'll be releasing that week. And for the big hardware enthusiasts out there, we have a week focused on microcontrollers and embedded hardware. And I'll leave at the end here, a whole week focused on online learning and certification. In fact, there is so much to talk about in that week. I think I'm going to come back next week to tell you all more about that. Oh, I can't wait. I have to say, I saw the part about like for students and academics, and I'm, I'm excited about that and also about the computer vision stuff. So if folks need to kind of get help, can they reach out to you and your team? Absolutely. So you can reach out to me personally at PJ DiCarlo or just give us the bat signal of hashtag July OT and any sort of social media posts. We are monitoring those. And what we'd like to hopefully have you all think about right now is, you know, check out the post here really read into the details of what we're trying to do here, but we wanna make it really clear that this is an event for everybody, meaning that if you haven't done IoT before, or you're wanting to get started, or maybe you are experienced, but you wanna try your hand at a new sensor, or maybe you've not applied AI to a IoT solution, now's the time to really start thinking about what is it that you want to learn, do, and apply during this month of July OT so that you can sort of leave after these 31 days even more talented than when you started. That's true. And I, I will point out, and this is my personal story here, July is when a lot of people are on summer break. I'm going to get my 12-year-old to do something with AI and IoT. So I hope everyone uses this as a time to like learn something and try something out over the summer. So last shout out, Paul, where should they go? <laughs> So you're going to want to head to aka.ms slash julyot. And remember, every Thursday during the month of July, starting with July 1st, which is a Thursday, you will want to hit refresh on this page because new content is going to appear throughout the month. 
And in fact, some of the content pieces that we'd like to focus on and share out to some of our media channels might come from you. So again, make sure that you're using that hashtag JulyOT in any of your social media sharings or just to tell us your ideas. We'll keep track of that and you might appear on this page as well on one of those Thursday refreshes. Woohoo! Thank you so much, Paul. So Frank, what do you think about this? Are you going to do something too? I'm ready. I'm ready. Like, I think Frank got super excited about this. But um, I guess it will be time for our next segment. So, Frank, what are we doing next? Yes. Now it's time to join Shiva for a new ability talk. Let me talk about this new uh, topic that we've been talking about. Uh, I think the last time you were here, we did talk about how to configure Microsoft Teams for inclusion. So Microsoft Teams is provided with a, a lot of uh, inclusive features like, you know, live transcriptions, providing live captioning, how to include live interpreters. And we did cover and talk about all of these uh, issues and topics last time. But this time around, uh, I will be talking about adaptive backgrounds to reduce trans uh, distractions. And what does that really mean? Well, for uh, a lot of uh, users, especially for users who have difficulty in focusing during live meetings, video meetings and calls because of movements, because of light and because of other distractions in participant backgrounds, whether users are neurodiverse they prefer to control distractions in their environments or are hard of hearing and need to lip read to understand what other participants are saying. You need to ensure that these users can control distractions and participate fully. So today I am going to be talking about how to control these distractions in meetings. So I here in this particular meeting, I'm wearing a red colored top. I am a woman of mixed ethnicity sitting right in front of you with the background here with a picture of my dog, Benjamin, right in front of you. With this description and hopefully not a lot of distraction in front of you, let's move on to the next slide. Here in this picture in front of you, what you see is a variety of background effects. Microsoft Teams makes it possible for users to activate background effects for videos during meetings and calls. Now, background effects can be fun for most users, but for some users, they're critical for making calls and meetings more inclusive. Background effects can help people focus on the speaker rather than on the speaker's background. What does that really mean? Uh, let's talk about enabling background blur. Background blurs help provide improved visibility and focus when in meetings or calls, just like this picture in front of you. For some users, background blurs allow users to blur their own background in meetings and calls, but they keep themselves in focus. So as an admin, you can enable background blur by configuring a meeting policy setting in PowerShell. So how do we do that? For example, to enable background blur for all users, 
uh, with the ability to use background defaults, you can use the global policy by using set-cs meeting policy commandlet and set the video filters mode parameter to blur and default backgrounds. It's that simple. You can set the video filters mode parameter to any of the following values to enable or disable background blur, like no filters, blur only, blur and default backgrounds, and all filters. What is the next step after this? This is what the admin does. Well, after that, after you've enabled background blur for your users, they can use it by selecting apply background effects during the meetings or calls. It wasn't that difficult, was it? The blur effect is actually then available for the users in the list of backgrounds that appear. Now, some users who are neurodiverse may actually find video feeds and varying personal backgrounds very distracting. Your users can choose to turn off incoming video and create personalized and simpler meeting views that they control. When a user chooses to turn off incoming video, other users will still be able to view the video feeds. What does that look like? Exactly like this. You can just turn off the incoming video. Another quick thing, background noise. Background noise can happen for many reasons, whether it's ambient noise from a user's environment, loud typing in an office space, or noises from outside like construction or just yapping. Sometimes I'm a source of continuous background noise, especially when somebody in my house is working. Background noise can be distracting and it can make it difficult for some users to focus and understand others. Users can enable noise suppression for recorded meetings in Microsoft Stream. And how to exactly do that? Well, just go to the update video details page and set noise suppression to on. One quick step. Next up, I'll be talking about how do we enhance participation in Microsoft Teams. Now, as an admin or even as a user or as an org leader, we want to provide users with more options, more control, and more flexibility so that they can participate in meetings in ways that work for them. Microsoft Teams comes with features like raise your hand, together mode, in-meeting chat. It also comes with messaging policies like chat editing, immersive reader, emojis, GIFs, memes. Especially for somebody like me who communicates in memes, I think it's a big win. Uh, this not just provides options control, but flexible participation as well. So let me just talk about how does that really work. I'm just going to show you quickly one of the features, which is raising your hand. For some users with hearing disabilities or who are neurodiverse, it can be very difficult to find the exact moment to contribute to the discussion without speaking over others. Sometimes we are also not just in the right mood or just not in the right frame of mind to just speak up. Microsoft Teams provides the raise your hand option so users have more ways to participate in meeting discussions in a comfortable and inclusive way. When a user selects raise your hand, just like in the top bar, all users will see a notification 
that you have raised your hand, just like in the bottom bar, which says Babak Shamas. Under show participants, they can see other users that have raised their hands, and the list is ordered according to who raised their hands first. The presenter can then decide who should speak first. The presenter can also lower the hand once you've given your feedback or asked the question. You can lower your hand yourself as well. Now, all of these features definitely are there for you to use. What else? Now, how do we support the team connection in together mode? Research has shown that people can feel disconnected and more fatigued when moving to remote working. It can result in less idea sharing, lower productivity, and strained mental well-being. One study has also shown that brainwave markers associated with stress and overworking are found to be significantly higher during video meetings when compared to work that doesn't involve meetings like emails. I'm going to be showing you something very interesting just in a minute that shows research data, which is uh, very, very interesting and basically just shows you how meetings are much more effective and show you decrease in fatigue uh, as compared to just, you know, typing away on your keyboards. But before that, together mode, coming back to the serious stuff. So users can enable together mode in a meeting by just selecting together mode in the options during the meeting, just like in the dialog box in front of you. Now, coming back to the fun, interesting stuff that I just talked about a second ago. Microsoft Teams together mode can help support employee well-being by reducing the feeling of fatigue that some remote workers experience from meetings. Remember the research that I just talked about? It has shown that when taking part in meetings using together mode, participants exert less effort and are better able to focus on other participants' faces and body language to interpret important non-verbal cues. This picture that speaks louder than 1,000 words exactly says that brain activity suggests together mode in Microsoft Teams may decrease meeting fatigue. It's as simple as that. Next up, we have how to enable in-meeting chat. I know we talk a lot about chat, and there are a plethora of chatting apps. And Teams does provide chatting. I mean, it is a chatting app. But why do we specifically need to talk and discuss about it in more detail? Chat provides users with a way to participate in meeting discussions, which may be more preferable to voice or sign language. And it may be a way to contribute more effectively in meeting discussions. As an admin, you should encourage presenters to take recurring pauses to check the chat window for any feedback. Very often, presenters move things along without paying attention to the chat window. Please refrain from doing that. As an admin, you can actually enable in-meeting chats for all users by configuring the global org-wide defaults, just like shown in this window in front of you. Just go to the Microsoft Teams Admin Center, use meeting, select meeting policies, and then set allow chat meetings in meeting to enabled. Now, messaging policies, another very important thing. 
Messaging policies provide users with greater flexibility in how they consume in-meeting chat content and other options and control over how they participate in in-meeting chats. You can provide the options to edit, delete chats, and especially for people with learning disabilities, you can choose to edit their writing after they hit send. You know what? You can give the option to communicate with emojis so people with learning disabilities can choose images rather than writing. You can enable features like immersive reader, a capability that is designed for users who have dyslexia, which makes text easier to consume, or inline translation for users who just prefer to communicate in a different language. So how do we do it? In Microsoft Teams Admin Center, just go to Messaging Policies, and then select global or by default. Next up, uh, we just go to delete. We just make sure delete sent messages and edit sent messages are set to on. Make sure use jiffies in conversations, use memes in conversations, and use stickers in conversations are set to on. Next up, make sure use translate messages is set to on. And after that, Make sure allow immersive reader for viewing messages is set to on. That's it. That's all you need to do is to provide an inclusive experience on Microsoft Teams. Next up, for the next episode of the Ability Talk, we will have Erica Zelmanovic to talk about how to talk about the nuances of compliance and usability. That's it from me for this episode. Thank you. Wow. Frank, what do you think? I think there are no more excuses. Everybody should level up their meetings. Wonderful. Yeah. Yep. You know what? I know I see the time is filing. Let's bring back everybody right away because I really want to do at least one ABC game and we'll wrap oh, up this show because time is going super fast. <laughs> That is true. And also, um, you know, we've got a couple of new folks today. So this has been really amazing. So let's try to roll. The folks are here. Paul's only new to this. Isaac's played the game. So, you know, let's go rolling with the very first clue. And we'll see if we'll put Paul on the spot for this one. What do you say? <laughs> Sounds fun. Oh, OK. We're going to do uh, I think we should have done the other one. But that's fine. This is not Paul's thing. But we'll, let's try this one. So the way ABC works is in 30 seconds, I draw something, and you have to guess what this is. So in this case, this is actually really, I'll give you a hint. It's about a particular path that we've actually launched recently. And it's about a term that Satya uses to describe the intersection of tech adoption, people's killing, and culture of trust. And the clue here is it breaks down silos and lets different kinds of people work together. If you don't know this, I don't know what to tell you. You would not have been at Build. Are we still giving Paul the chance to guess? <laughs> yes, I can give Paul a chance to guess. This one is tougher, maybe, but it's like two words. The first word starts in T, and the second uh, tech intensity. Woohoo! First <laughs> one. I was working on the second one. Yes, thank you, <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. No then problem, like, Paul. You know what? Let's Get play the one. Like, which which one? Like, is it the oh, one okay, you share, or is it the one I share? The one that I made specifically for Paul. Yeah, let's see if he gets this. Yes, Paul, if you don't get this, it's egg on your face, okay? Egg <laughs> on your face. I did this because I'm so happy about like learning about this particular thing. It's also because I'm very interested library in all things stores. 
Oh, this yeah. is this is retail analytics is what this is. Aha, uh -huh, but what is the technology? It's two words and it's an Azure tech, you can tell, that allows you to create AI solutions. You literally did the demo on Oh, this. I know this. I know what you're going for here. A device that can enable retail yeah. analytics solutions in addition to a variety of others. This yeah. is the other percept is what this is. Yes. <laughs> that is what it is. We needed you to get the service. And now I feel that that's the right way to kick off July OT. And so thank you so much for playing. What are we doing, Frank? I think it's time to wrap up, Nitya. <laughs> <laughs> good job, Paul and Isaac. So we're going to wrap up and stick around because we have a really, really good show for you on Azure Fun Bites with advocate Jay Gordon. And he's talking to JJ Ashkar of IBM on OpenShift. Ooh, we'll see you all sounds, next time. That sounds interesting. Take care, everybody. Bye.